Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Judaism, classic Torah, classic Hebrew, doesn't have a word for religion. We don't believe in religion. We just believe in reality. It's either true or it isn't true. If it's true, this is what it is. Look around you. This is what we're talking about. If it's not true, then, you know, moving on, right? You see, religion to me is this sort of like this ideological nicety, you know, something that improves me, makes me better. You know, it's, it's, it's ultimately centers on me as opposed to, wait a second, what is actually going on? Let me actually participate in a real way in what is really going on. That's what Torah is talking about. Okay, so ideally we're all living in reality. But what does it mean to live in reality? And I think so many of us have the following construct. And I'll say it a couple of different ways. One is this idea that God exists while I'm thinking about God. (laughs) Which is, it's a very human thing to fall into, but it's not real. Because if God exists, God is going constantly, right? Like the only reason why there's a world, the only reason why there's a you is because God is constantly, constantly going on, whether we're thinking about him or not, okay? And then another idea that we have, again, mistaken, is that God basically exists when I'm doing a mitzvah. Like basically, God does his thing and I do my thing. And there's certain check-in points. In the morning, if I'm a man, I put on tefillin, check that box, go back to my life. God, I did what I was supposed to do. You do your thing, hang out with the angels, whatever it is that you're doing exactly. I'll do my thing, you know, do some emails, watch some TV, whatever it is that, that pleases me. And then, you know, it's Pesach, I eat some matzah. God, you go back to your thing, I'm gonna go back to my thing. In other words, this is what how we think about it. I'm 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 putting it in a in a in a farcical way, but in what I think is a a a, a true way, which is the notion that what is the what are the contours of our relationship with with God, right? It's it's he asks us to do certain things, and then when we do those certain things, now I have a real relationship with God. So what I'm trying to do is broaden that and and perhaps even suggest that that's a very shallow, superficial way of approaching our lives and and approaching reality. Okay, so then then we have to go deeper, right? We have to figure out what's what's really going on. And what am I even talking about? Because I don't know that I've made my point yet. He seems to be getting to something. I don't know what it is yet, but what I'm talking about is how to actually be really there. Don't you want to be really there? I I do. I want to be really there. Think of it, you know, whenever you think of God, and this was a breakthrough that had such a just utterly profound effect on my life that, that Reb Shlomo taught me, which was whenever he talked about us and God, he always framed it as a relationship between you and your soulmate. You see, 
once you structure your relationship or your understanding of God as between you and your soulmate, and do we have a deeper soulmate? Because what is our soul actually? It's a piece of God that he puts inside of us. He's put a piece of himself inside of us. Like, if that doesn't make you and God soulmates, nothing else does. In other words, you, you, you couldn't be closer. All of us could not be closer just by virtue of that alone. Okay. So when we think of us and God in terms of that relationship, in terms of soulmates, can you imagine, would, how would you feel if, if your soulmate said the following? Well, what do you want from me? I gave you an anniversary present, didn't I? Right? What, what, do you, what do you want from me? Like, I'm not seeing anyone else. <laughs> All right. Like, like I, if, I'm on the, if I'm on the listening end of that, I'm thinking, wow, you're, are you, how deeply are you in this relationship exactly? Right? You're pointing to the most superficial elements of a relationship and, and now you're patting yourself on the back of like, you know, like what a great partner you are. I mean, I, I think all of us would, would really like sort of be like, come on, you know, get it together. Like, let's, let's rethink this. All right. So now let's launch into this officially. Okay. And if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, you will in a moment. And this is a teaching that I heard from Rabbi Mati Berger from Asia Torah. And it really just puts a, just with a, a laser-like focus on, on all of these issues. And he made the following insight about relationships and a very powerful, powerful insight. You ready? The person who is less committed to the relationship defines the nature of the relationship. The person who is less committed to the relationship defines the nature of the relationship. And he gave an example, and if it's not clear yet, it's about to be 10,000% clear, which is, if I call you every single day and you return my call once a month, we don't have an everyday relationship. We have a once a month relationship. Do you understand how the person who's less committed to the relationship defines the relationship? That's a, that's a very big insight. That's a very, very big insight. So now let's apply this to us and God. And now hopefully everything that I've been talking about is going to start to make sense. You see... How is there even a world? <laughs> because God keeps the world going every single moment. God creates and recreates the world every single moment. That's, that's what Judaism says. Every single moment. So God is so here, right? How is there even a you? Or how is there even a me? It's because God is constantly bringing us into existence and giving us life Every single moment, moment to moment. Okay, now that's a, that's a very, very important idea 
because there was a group of people called deists, okay? And this strain of theology exists for, you know, many centuries or even millennia, okay? Which is the following. Yeah, I believe in God. God created the world, and then he said, see you around. God created the world and then abandoned his creation. Not the truth. Couldn't be less Jewish. Could not be less Jewish of a thought. Our, our truth, and we say Torah emet, right? The truth of Torah. Our, our truth, which is the truth, is that not only does God create the world and create us moment to moment, but he's intimately involved with every aspect of our lives. And the real foundational standpoint of the Hasidic movement, what the Baal Shem Tov really kind of like just revealed, and, 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 and he wasn't saying anything that hadn't been said before, by the way. It's just that he was really just shining a torch on it, was this idea that God is involved in every, 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 every aspect of creation. Every aspect of creation. And there's such a beautiful story, just one of the greatest stories in the world. And if you have children or if you have grandchildren, tell them this story today. Tell them all the time. The Baal Shem Tov was walking with one of his students and they were walking through the forest together. And the Baal Shem Tov was telling his student that God runs every aspect and is involved in every aspect of creation. And you know, the wind is blowing through all of the trees. They're in the forest. And the student is trying to absorb this enormous thought. God is involved with every aspect of creation. Every aspect. And he points to a leaf on a tree and he says, even that leaf? And the Basham Tov says, even that leaf? And the wind blows again. And the leaf blows off and it blows this way and it blows that way. And the Baal Shem Tov says, let's follow that leaf. <laughs> and it finally lands on the floor, the ground of the forest, in this like shaft of sunlight, bright sunlight. The leaf like settles there. And they walk over to the leaf and they pick it up and underneath there's a worm. God had sent a canopy of shade to cool off that worm. Every aspect of creation, every leaf on every tree, even the smallest creature in the world, God is mindful of. This is what the Baal Shem Tov helped to reveal, this truth of reality that's going on in creation. So with this in mind, let's get back to this idea. Who determines the nature of the relationship? Well, we just said, the one who's less involved. Because if I call you every single day and you only return my call once a month, then we have a once a month relationship, not, a, not an everyday relationship. Okay. So with that in mind, God is calling us every single moment of the day. <laughs> Our phone is ringing 24-7. And now the question is, how often are we picking up the phone? Because the ball is in our court, and we get to determine what the nature of the relationship is.
It's a very, very big, very big insight. Very big insight. Because what it tells you is that just like two soulmates together, the relationship is ongoing and it's not as I started off, God, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. I know there's certain check-in points. Okay, it's morning. I just prayed, right? Now I got to eat. Okay, I eat kosher. Okay, when I do my check-in points, I'm doing my thing. And now I can go back to my life. Do you see how that's just absolutely not reality? I mean, it's the reality that we create, but that we have an opportunity, and more than an opportunity, a chiv, an obligation. I mean, if, if there's someone who loves you the most, you know, I used to tell my kids, it was always painful for me to say this to my kids, but I would say it to my kids. I would say, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then I'd say, you know who loves you even more? God. God loves you even more. And I said, do you know how much I love you? I love you so much. Can you imagine how much God loves you? That God loves you even more than me? So, I mean, just from a, just a, from the stand, wanting to be a mensch, right? Just wanting to be a basic upright person. Don't you want to be up to that relationship? Don't you want to be a worthy partner in that relationship, that love-based relationship? Now, now let's go deeper. If the phone is ringing 24-7 and it's up to me to pick up the phone and I get to determine the nature of the relationship, then what's stopping me from picking up the phone? So let's kind of go over some of the blockages. There, there are many reasons and everyone's different. Everyone's going to have their own personal reasons. But let's go over just some broad categories. What's stopping me from picking up the phone if God is calling out to me every single moment? Okay. I'll tell you one thing, which is, and again, what I'm trying to point out here are things that we don't think about. Things that determine and structure our behavior, and yet we don't have any insight into the fact that we're doing. All right, that's, that's what I'm trying to concentrate on in most of these talks, by the way, not just this moment, but just in general. So, so let's, let's try to have some details now. Here is an underlying assumption that we make, which is kind of a little bit heartbreaking, and I would say very much false. And it's the following. I think, from my perspective, from my human perspective, God is only with me and paying attention to me when he's answering my prayer. God, I told you I want this. If you're not giving me this, then clearly you're not paying any attention to me. Right? Because I, you're, you're all powerful. You can do anything. I articulated it very clearly. This is what I want, God. And you didn't give it to me. So if you're, boycott, if you're boycotting me, I'm going to boycott you till you give me what I want. 
How's that for a terrible strategy? <laughs> when, you, when you give me what I want, God, then we'll talk. Then I'll put on tefillin. Then I'll keep kosher. Then I'll keep Shabbos. But first, here's my list of demands, God. <laughs> Meanwhile, what's the joke? God is keeping the world going. God is keeping you going. God is giving you every good thing in your life. And you're like, one second, God. <laughs> right? It's a little bit crazy when you think of it that way. But we're so kind of like mired in 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 sort of like the here and now that we 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 don't think on a on a larger basis of what's like really going on. So so we've got to get rid of this idea that that God is only with me when he's giving me what I want. And and I heard a thought that I thought is so fundamental. This is something you got to, this is as Rip Shlomo would say, this is a cash Torah. You know what a cash Torah is? That means something you've got to carry around in your pocket at all times, right? And even Shabbos, because it's not actually cash. <laughs> so here you go. For every prayer that I pray, right? There's three possible answers that God gives. You ready? Three possible answers. Yes. Not yet. Right? That's number two. And number three is, I have something even better for you. Do you notice something? I'm going to go through that list one more time, because there's a very glaring absence of a certain answer that people will all assume is on that list, and it's not on that list, and we'll get to that in a moment. But for every prayer, there's three possible answers. Yes, not yet, or I have something even better for you. So I'm sure you all guessed the answer that you didn't hear is no. And that's because no is covered by, I have something even better for you. But, and this is, again, another life-changing thought. If you want to access that third level, I have something even better for you, it means that you have to believe one thing with all of your heart, which is that God is good. You see, a lot of people believe in God, but they, and again, this comes from just not thinking about it deeply. A lot of people think of God as an all-powerful dictator, even very religious people, because they don't just, they don't, they don't think it through. But that's not Judaism. It says all over Tehillim, all over the sitter, God says, I'm good. <laughs> And, and I love you. It's, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. If you really believe that God is good, then whatever happens, you go, okay, God is fixing my soul. Or God is creating another opportunity for me that he hasn't brought into the world yet. If you believe in God's goodness, then everything that you receive, even if it's painful, even if it's painful, you understand that God is either saving your life or correcting your soul, healing your soul, or 
guiding the world in a way that it's going to lead to an even better place after this? I was speaking to a good friend of mine and um, going over this thought, I have a, I visualized something one time, just a, like a metaphor, but a visual metaphor, you know, which is sometimes, so to speak, we wander off the path, right? Off the derech, whatever that means, but we, we, we wander off the path of the main road and we find ourselves stuck in the middle of a thorn bush. So that's pretty painful. I'm in the middle of a thorn bush. Well, I don't want to be in the thorn bush. I don't want to be in this painful place in my life. So, so someone takes you out of the thorn bush. But you know what? When you leave the thorn bush, guess what you go through? Lots of thorns. <laughs> Because you're in the middle of a thorn bush. So you say, how are you helping me? It's so painful. My friend, you're in the middle of a thorn bush. We got to get you out of the thorn bush. There's one way out. And unfortunately, it's through the thorns. So a lot of people think because it's painful, this isn't working and you aren't helping me. But you are being helped. In fact, you're being saved. But it's painful because we got ourselves into a painful situation. So we shouldn't think that the presence of pain doesn't mean that we aren't being helped and we aren't being saved. So a lot of times, so I'll give you an example. God, please give me, well, I don't want to say this about myself. Someone prays, God, please give me a bicycle. And instead, God gives them a broken leg. <laughs> Is that how did you help me, God? I wanted a bicycle and you gave me a broken leg. Why do you hate me, God? And, but, if I believe in God's goodness, if I believe in God's goodness, I know that God said, I'm going to give you something even better. You know that hiking trip that you were going to go on where you were going to get eaten by a bear? <laughs> Guess what? You're not going on that trip anymore. Why? Because you've got a broken leg. That's why. <laughs> so if you believe in God's goodness, then even if something painful comes your way, you know that God is saving you. And that it's, it's an expression of God's love. But you have to believe in God's goodness with every ounce of your being. You know... I, I, I work in a field that's, that's extremely unstable. It's got ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And I was in a, in a long down. And, and then, thank God, it reversed and I went into an up. And I remember asking myself, how did you survive that? And I, and I answered myself without even thinking. Without even thinking, these words came to me. Because not even for a second, not even for a second, did I ever doubt God's goodness. And, and, and that is the way that I made it through. No, no question. No question. So this is a thought from the Kutzka Rebbe. And if you 
Look at the Jewish calendar. What What is the month that historically, you know, we have experienced the most pain and, and suffering and hardship? And there's there's a very clear answer. It's the month of Av. That's where the destruction of the first holy temple in Jerusalem and the second holy temple in Jerusalem and the Spanish Inquisition was all happened on, on, on this day, the, the ninth day of Av. The beginning, you can check this out on your own. Everyone agrees that World War I started with the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, okay? That happened on the 9th of Av. And every historian will tell you that World War II resulted from World War I. It was a natural outgrowth from it, which means the Holocaust, through this logic, starts, so to speak, on the 9th of Av. So, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing, wild, just that that all takes place in Av. Okay, by the way, one of the happiest days of the entire year is also on Av. You know, just that's just classically Jewish, right? Tuba Av. So, and, and even more interesting, the Maharal says, if you want to know the essence of a month, you find out the essence of a month by the 15th of the month, because that is the full moon of the month. Remember, it's, it's, we're largely a lunar calendar. So when the moon is shining the brightest, which is the full moon, the 15th of the month, that shows on the true nature of the month. Like, for instance, we're now in the month of Nisan. What is, that's the month of miracles. Nisan contains the word nes, which means miracle. What's another name for the 15th of the month of Nisan? Pesach. That's Pesach. That's when we're taken out of Egypt. And the Zohar says that all future redemptions are based on that. So isn't it interesting that the, the hardest month for us is Av? And the Talmud says that one of the two happiest days of the entire year is the 15th of Av? Also keep in mind that Av, the name of the month, means father. Okay, now I'm going to tell you what the Kutzker says. Kutzker says that if you see a young child in shul, right, in synagogue, and an older man slaps the child's face, you can be sure of one thing, that that man is the child's father. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? It's not some lone crazy person attacking the child. It's just, I mean, think about it. It's the child's father. So, you know, God loves us the most. Sometimes he disciplines us. It's true. But who is disciplining us? It's our father. Our father who loves us the most. And remember, the month of Av, which has all this hardship in it, is also defined by the full moon of Av, which is this month of love and connection. Right? That's what's going on in Tuba'av. That's the, that's the day where God, so to speak, according to the B'nai Yisaskar, declares that he's creating the entire world for us and that, and that we're soulmates. Okay. So now let's go on to the next step. I'm trying to be very practical here. Remember, let's just remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that we're in a relationship with God. And that so many of us think that 
you know what, God, you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. I have certain check-in points, which is when I'm doing a mitzvah or something like that. Then you go back to your thing and I go back to my thing. And this is our relationship. And yet, if you realize that we're soulmates with God and that our relationship with God is 24-7, then you realize a very large idea. Okay, you ready for a new, very large idea? The great majority of my life and my relationship with God is going to be spent when I'm not doing quote-unquote mitzvahs. I'm going to say that again. This is a huge idea. When you realize this, that God is reaching out to us 24-7, the great majority of my life and my relationship with God is going to be while I am not doing quote-unquote mitzvahs. In other words, how long does it take to say Birkat Hamazon, the, the after blessing, after eating? Three minutes? Something like this? How long does it take to eat matzah on, on, on Pesach? How long does it take to light Shabbos candles? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? If, if I'm determining my relationship to God by the time when I'm doing mitzvahs, how many minutes of a day versus 24 hours in a day am I in a relationship with God for? Does it make any sense that God is reaching out to me, that no one loves me more than God, that God is keeping me alive, that the phone is ringing 24-7, and I'm saying, I am such a great partner, God, I am interacting with you up to 45 minutes a day. And I'm a great holy man, right? What is that? So we realize, wow, the great, the great, like, proving ground is when, not when I'm in shul, right? Not when I'm doing the former formal prayers, but when I'm outside of shul, right? This is the heart of the relationship. I'm now in the heart of the relationship. And then how do you make the most out of that? Well, you're talking to God, you're thanking God, whatever you're doing, if you're working, if you're eating, whatever it is, you're doing it for God. You're thanking God for everything around you, everything that's coming your way. Then you're living in reality. Absolutely. All right, I want to give another blockage point. So again, the question is, why aren't we picking up the phone if the phone is ringing 24-7? So I'll tell you this story. It, 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 it traumatized me a little bit, this story. Okay? And it happened a long time ago. I don't know. A good 20 years ago, maybe more. I was on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. It was a Sunday morning. I was going to, to the morning prayers, right? It was in this like office building. And there were, I don't know, 10, 15 guys in this kind of conference room putting on tefillin, doing the morning prayers. And again, this is Sunday morning. You know, if you're there, you're there because you want to be there. No one, no one's dragging you to the Sunday morning prayers on the second floor of this office building on like 84th Street and Broadway, okay? So someone walks in late and he doesn't have to fill in. 
okay, it's not the biggest deal. You, you use someone else's tefillin. No, no problem. And at some point, you know, someone says to him, would you like to put on tefillin? And he says, no. So that's curious, right? Because why are you showing up here? This is kind of the main activity. This is, this is the tefillin putting on place, basically, you know? Okay, we're praying too. That's also a giant part of this, but it seems a little bit odd. So I don't remember if someone asked him why or if he volunteered why. And now here's the point of the story. He said, and I, I heard this, I saw it with my own eyes, heard it with my own ears. He said, these hands that ate lobster last night, can I put tefillin on these hands? That, that's what he said. And the answer is, what does one thing have to do with the other? <laughs> okay. You did what you did last night. That was last night. And you know what? Even if you're going to do it again tonight, what, what does one thing have to do with the other? The, the, mitzvah of, the, the mitzvah of tefillin goes away because you're eating lobster? What does one thing have to do with the other? I, I'll tell you something very interesting. According to Jewish law, you know, vows in Jewish law are are very serious. It's more than like a resolution. Like, you know what, I got to exercise some more or I got to eat uh, more healthy. Okay, those are very positive things. Those are resolutions. But a formal vow in Torah, like you take on a, basically you create a mitzvah for yourself. That is kind of what's going on metaphysically. So it's very, very serious. And, and vows are sort of discouraged for the most part. Okay, there's certain instances where maybe it's good to take on a vow, but but for the most part, vows are discouraged because we say, you know what, you're, you're going to take on these obligations and there's a good chance you're not going to keep them and then you're going to start to kind of have the opposite effect that you were trying to do. It's going to turn out to be, have negative spiritual consequences. Okay, so we avoid vows in general. That's the general rule. All right, now let's just say, and the Talmud discusses this case, a person goes, you know what? I want to kind of improve myself. I'm going to take a formal Torah vow to put on tefillin. I'm going to start putting on tefillin every day, and I'm going to take a vow to do it. Guess what? That vow has no legal status whatsoever. <laughs> and do you know why? Because you've already been commanded to put on tefillin. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually very funny if you think about it. It's like... It's like, no, 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 I'm such a good guy. I'm going to put on tefillin. I vow to put on tefillin. My friend, you already have to put on tefillin. <laughs> you know, my wife, we just got married. I've given it some thought. I'm not going to date other women. I've given it some thought. Now that we're married, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, not going to date other women. Okay, yeah, I guess you're a great guy. <laughs> I guess you are. Except that kind of went with getting married. That kind of went with getting married. And again, 
This is the idea. This is the larger idea. This is the reality that we're living in. This is what it means that we're soulmates with God, that we're already locked into a higher relationship, a more profound, deeper, loving relationship. That already is the starting point of our lives. And then we, through our own lack of education and our own flawed humanity, see it from a completely different point of view. God, I'm doing my thing. You do your thing. I'll check in and do the various mitzvahs, right, on a good day. And then I'm doing my job. What's the problem? The problem is, is that your mom is missing the entire point. You're missing the entire point of your life, of this world, of what the Torah is actually talking, of what it actually means to be a human being or a Jew. It means to be actively involved in this relationship that we're in. That's what we're talking about. I want to tell you a story. It's one of the best stories I know, okay? I, I wish I knew the Rebbe. I heard it from Rebbe Eli Chaim Karlbach. Rebbe Shlomo had a twin brother. A lot of people don't know that he had a twin brother. And I had the privilege of being with his twin brother, Rebbe Eli Chaim, over many, many years at the Karlbach Shul on 79th Street in New York City. And, and I remember Rebbe Eli Chaim told this story. So it's very, very profound. And again, it's, it's another way of un, unlocking some of the kind of, or I should say, unknotting some of the knots that are in our consciousness and in our heart in terms of blocking us from, from connecting with God. I'll tell you an interesting halacha, you know, just what does it mean really to be close to God? Like how close is close? You know, the Rambam says something very interesting. By the way, Maimonides, the Rambam, is, is hailed as our ultimate rationalist, right? When we want to talk about just sort of like, kind of like an unemotional approach, right? Just give me the facts. That's the Rambam. So let me tell you what our consummate rationalist says. He says that a person has to walk around lovesick over God. <laughs> That's our consummate rationalist. A person has to walk around lovesick over God. So if you want to know how much is too much, well, according to our ultimate rationalist, lovesick isn't too much. So once you sort of like realize what the contours of a healthy relationship between us and God is, it kind of is pretty radical, right? Pretty different from the way most people understand what it is. And so much more beautiful, by the way. But I want you to tell you this halacha. How do we measure closeness? You know something? Believe it or not, when a woman goes to a, the mikvah, one of the things that she has to do is make sure there are no knots in her hair. So you have to comb through your hair. There shouldn't be any knots. 
you're telling me that a little knot in your hair, right, creates what's called a chatzitza, a separation between you and the mikvah water. And remember, God is compared to a mikvah because he engulfs us and surrounds us. A little knot in your hair, you've got to comb through like your hair. A little knot in your hair? That can create a separation? What about a knot in our consciousness? What about a knot in our heart? Boy, we got to get rid of those, right? Anything that's stopping us from seeing God's goodness? So here's the story from Rabbi Eli Chaim. Beautiful, beautiful story. So, so there's a king and he has a young son, right? Too young to understand anything. And by the way, just so you know, I'm sure you know it already, but anytime you have a parallel in Torah about a king and his child, you know the king is always God, right? <laughs> and the child is always you and me and Israel, right? So just, just so you know. Because it, it just helps when you hear the story to understand what we're talking about while you're hearing the story. <laughs> Shouldn't be like a surprise twist ending. Wait a second, you mean the king was God? <laughs> I was the child. These parables are not meant to shock and surprise at the end. They're just, you know, it's just putting in, in, in a very simple way a very deep idea. Okay. So a king has a child. And the king, well, in this, in this version, the king is a mortal king. Okay. So, so it symbolizes God, but it's not God. And the king is going to, is old and is, you know, going to leave the world. And he wants to leave all of his possessions to his child. But the king has a problem because the child is very young. And if the king leaves all of his possessions to the child and then tells the, the head minister of his affairs or whatever it is, the king is afraid that the minister is going to steal all of his stuff and the child will never know. The child's too young to know that it's, he's even the king's son and that, you know, he's got this tremendous inheritance, right? Someone's going to run away with it. Okay, so the king leaves this world and this king was a very great architect and a, and a great builder. And he had a palace and there was one special room in this palace that had a beautiful tile work. Just magnificent, magnificent tile work. And as the son got older and, you know, could comprehend more things, he would love to go to this beautiful room with this magnificent tile work and think about his father and contemplate on his father, right? And one day he's in this room and he's contemplating, he's thinking about the greatness of his father, inspired by the beauty of this room, and he's looking at the tile work. And then he notices an imperfection in the tile work. Like something's off. The king made a mistake. 
And he's thinking to himself, my father wouldn't have made a mistake. He can't have made a mistake. He was too good. So he goes closer and he investigates the mistake even more. And then he says, you know what? I think my father was trying to send me a message. And he breaks behind the tile work and he finds his inheritance. He finds the treasure. The king knew, the king knew that the child, if the child thought enough, if he thought enough, he would understand the king's perfection. And if there's any mistake, that it was just a message to the child. And that if the child dug deeper and thought more profoundly, that he would find the blessing in it. And that's, that's the story of our lives. So I just want to end with that. Why aren't we picking up the phone when it's ringing and it's ringing? I think one of the reasons is because so many of us are so hurt over the course of our lives. God, you keep on making mistakes running my life. I couldn't have been more clear when I told you that I wanted to be a lottery winner. <laughs> I, I couldn't have been more clear. <laughs> you keep on making mistakes the way you run my life. <laughs> Right? I told you that I wanted to be admitted to that school and to get that job and to marry that person and to have those kids. And you keep on making mistakes the way you run my life, God. But are they mistakes? Are they mistakes? We have to dig deeper, right? How many times in our life has something not gone our way and we looked back and we realized it was the biggest blessing? You know, I heard Rabbi Pesach Krohn say something amazing. He says, a lot of us are angry at God. You know why? Because we did a particular mitzvah, we did something great or many great things perhaps, and we say, God, where's my reward? You know, pay up, pay up. Where's my reward? I did that thing. No one's going to tell me that thing wasn't a great thing. You know it was a great thing. And let's say it was 100% a great thing. Where's my reward, God? And I'll tell you what Rabbi Krohn said. Stayed with me, made such a huge, giant impression on me. He said, What if you had a child or a grandchild? God forbid who needed to have their life saved. Would you surrender the reward for that thing in your life in order to save that person, your child or your grandchild? I think most of us would say absolutely yes. If there's a flow or a reward that we think we deserve and should have come our way, it could be that God is absolutely rerouting it to something that we want even more, but we have no way of even evaluating it or even considering it because it's so far off in the future. We could never even comprehend 
that that thing could be assigned to that other thing and could save the life of one of my loved ones. But God, who knows absolutely everything, is capable of these type of thoughts and these type of kindnesses and does for us what we don't even know can be done, that we would absolutely want to be done if we even knew, and God is already doing it for us from a standpoint of love. So there aren't any mistakes. There aren't any mistakes. There's only love. Because the one who's keeping the world going and the one who's keeping us going is the one who loves us absolutely the most. So remember, the phone is ringing 24-7. The phone is ringing 24-7. It's up for us to pick up the phone. God wants to be in that relationship. And no one should say, oh, I, I've made too many mistakes. God doesn't want to hear from me. Not only does he want to hear from you, he is calling you right now. That's a pretty powerful example of how much he wants to hear from you. The fact that he is in fact calling you right now. Even amidst our mistakes, right? And to remember and to remember that the nature of our relationship is not just when I'm doing a mitzvah, that the primary playing field, so to speak, is when I leave shul, when I'm not davening, when I'm not eating matzah, when I'm not lighting Shabbos candles, that that's the open field where I can be in that relationship and to reach out to the one who loves me the most. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.